the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Generation Declassified, and you're listening to another new Generation Declassified here, exclusively on the TMPT Empire of Podcasts. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week, I get back in the Wayback Machine, and I head back to the mid-90s, the new generation era of the World Wrestling Federation, uh, giving you a topic that maybe you don't know, maybe you don't remember, maybe you could have remembered, but sort of don't, but anyway, I'm here to give you something to uh, kind of mull over and uh, discuss among yourself uh, while you listen to my voice and the melodic tones of the uh, the Chadster here on the New Generation Declassified Airwaves each and every single week. Uh, continuing the theme with last week, I gave you a top five, and that's on the heels of last week's episode. I really enjoyed doing that, and I think this is another cool little thing to give you to let you digest uh, some more New Generation goodness and uh, let you go off and find some for yourself and keep the discussion going because the feedback you always get when you throw out a, uh, a list of top anything is, hey, what about this or what about that? And that's the whole point of doing a podcast like this. Uh, we'll not continue to do it after this week. I'll go back to another topic. Have one in mind. I've been captivated watching the Kayfabe Commentaries Timeline WWF 1995 on their YouTube channel. Uh, fascinating stuff. You know, I am not the biggest fan of kayfabe commentaries in their presentation. I think a lot of the things they do uh, can be exceptionally good, but then there's also some things that can be, you know, kind of left off. And, um, you know, I think that Sean Oliver does a great job in conversating with each and every guest, but, you know, sometimes some of the some of the little antics I'm not a big fan of. But that's another story for a different day. Uh, but Timeline 1995 with Kevin Nash is off the charts amazing. And they released it back in way in the day with two DVDs. So on YouTube, they're releasing it in two parts. And I've uh, been making my way through part two now at this point, you know, picking it up here and there as I go along doing little things around the house. And it's been um, a great joy to see in full i mean i've seen clips for years i feel like at some point i may have seen the whole thing in its entirety but i don't remember seeing it or, or watching it like this like i have and it's just really good and that's a whole shout out for the kayfabe commentaries youtube channel too many people have pirated their stuff for long enough and now they're taking advantage of it and posting things on their channel to drive uh, traffic to their streaming service which is great. They've got a boatload of content to go through. And it's it's funny, before the podcast boom really took off, they, I mean, they were really ahead of the entire industry with what they were doing in terms of their uh, shoot interview style content. You know, you had your classic one camera, guy asking questions, guy on the receiving end answering questions and shooting it back and forth. But Kayfabe Commentaries brought a presentation trying to do it more like a um, you know, variety uh, style uh, show and not with bells and whistles and, you know, dancing girls, but with presentation, with segments, with, um, you know, different topics, you know, the games that they would play. And, and it turned out very good for a lot of the releases. Some of them you could see they abandoned after one or two, 
but history pieces like timeline the you shoots the breaking kayfabe those were always so well received that they couldn't help but put more and more and more out but uh i digress moving forward the timeline is phenomenal and it's a great compliment to anything that we're doing here on new generation declassified because uh to hear it from the guy who was at the top of the uh the heap the uh the head honcho the the world champion for that entire year He's going to be privy to a lot more stuff than other guys. Now, is he going to be privy to everything? Absolutely not. But he's going to have a great look uh, at the entire company from the top of the card because, you know, what do you want to believe? Who's drawing the money? Is it the champion? Is it the company? You know, is it the name on the marquee or is it the guy in the main event? You know, it's one of those things I think we could argue uh, till the end of time. But nonetheless... You know, Kevin Nash is 1995, kind of not regarded well. But if you look at it, really wasn't terrible compared to some other title runs. I had also come across a YouTube video kind of in the similar vein, you know, talking about 1995 WWF. And they're talking about how, you know, Diesel wasn't the lowest drawing champion uh, by a long shot, but he did have some very low drawing buy rates and, you know, some attendance was down, but... Um, in the 95 timeline on kayfabe commentaries, you know, Kevin Nash points out how houses were starting to go up. So maybe in that midpoint in 93, where you have those fringe fans that were just about to leave and were taking in that last little bit, they were still around. And that's around a time, you know, WWF starts losing some licenses. They start losing some partnerships. It takes two to three years to get them really back moving in the right direction and that's during the Diesel title reign, the, the 95 into 96 era. I personally, you know, will always say I think Kevin Nash is a great champion and, and a great piece of WWF history because he's this big dude, all black, you know, the, the big jackknife powerbomb, you know, the black glove. I, I, he had a great theme music, great presentation, the pyro out of the, the posts. He was awesome. And you didn't expect him to come in and have a catch as catch can classic every time he stepped through the ropes, but you saw what you got out of Kevin Nash. You like, it was good. And, and I think too many people look back with a, um, you know, a, an eye of, Oh, well, he wasn't the greatest technical worker in the world. Well, guess what? That wasn't always important. And as a top draw, Kevin Nash was a great personality. And it's part of the reason why when it, Paul and Nash go to WCW, that they literally changed the business because they absolutely, uh, did a stellar job of making it believable and making you think that they were uh, the two coolest guys in uh, the company or the Federation or WCW. Wherever they went, they were the coolest guys because of their aura, you know, that machismo that Razor Ramon had or the the cool of Big Daddy Cool. Um, two perfect guys, and uh, I think 95 still gets shit on a lot. We've documented a lot of its flaws, but it, it definitely it gets shit on, and it shouldn't be. Um, but that's uh, moving forward. I just kind of want to look at maybe five gimmick matches in uh, WWF New Generation history that um, either you forgot about, you know, you, you don't remember them at all, or you've never seen them, and you can go check them out. A lot of them are a little goofy. Uh, maybe they're not even just top five. It's just five. It's just five gimmick matches from the history of the new generation that, you know, 
So I mean, I can't. There's the first one I had. I can't even bring into words how ridiculous the name is, but nonetheless, it was still a. Uh, it, it was still memorable because of what it did. It was going back to the early days of Monday Night Raw, September thirteenth, nineteen ninety three. How about this for a stipulation name or a gimmick match name? It is a province of Quebec rules match where the tag team championship could change hands via disqualification. So this is also the debut of Johnny Polo as the manager of the Quebecers. Uh, The Quebecers steal the WWF tag team championship from Rick and Scott Steiner uh, at about 20 something minutes into the match after Rick takes a hockey stick that was going to be used. Excuse me. Scott takes a hockey stick that was going to be used by Jacques on uh, on Scott, flipped it around, nails Jacques with it. And because of that and um, the disqualification being called, the championship was changed. Now, they had stipulated in this match that a disqualification could be caused by using a pile driver, throwing your opponent over the top rope, or coming off the top rope in, in general. And um, this is about the time, you know, that we started to see the uh, Steiner brothers who had come in uh, just at the tail end of 1992. And now we're about in the fall of 93. This is about the time where we start to see the Steiner brothers being phased out in a negative way and really not going to be used much uh, further after this in any capacity. Uh, They would trade the tag titles back and forth with, the Quebecers, uh, the Quebecers would enter 1994 as the tag champs and then have a very odd program with uh, the one, two, three kid and Marty Jannetty uh, for a very short amount of time. Uh, but the Steiner brothers, this is really their swan song. And, you know, you could say what you want about the Steiners uh, time in the WWF. Now they're WWE Hall of Famers. Uh, I mean, here we are in September 93. You know, they've been there for less than a year. And they're losing in a disqualification gimmick match. I do love the name, the Quebec Province Rules match. That's uh, that's definitely interesting. And I'd love to have seen Vince McMahon sitting in his office and coming up with that. Uh, but, geez, come on. I mean, it's like, what can you say about um, uh, a tag team championship that changes on a disqualification? You know, it, it takes away... Uh, from the uh, you know the prestige of uh, of a championship victory, but you know get you stirring, and that uh, Manhattan Center crowd was loving it. So you know they actually the the Quebecers had a ton of heat in New York, and that Manhattan Center crowd ate them up. So pretty uh, pretty cool that uh, a team like that you know with their goofy uh, Mountie gimmick, even though their song says they're not the Mounties. Pretty funny that they would still have that much heat in New York, which would be considered to be the market of the smart fan. Um, it's uh, it's just one of those things where I can't uh, I can't say anything bad about it, except for would have rather it be a a true pinfall victory to um, you know to to change the belts. I know that the DQ was in the stipulation, but you know you do everything you can to do the DQ uh, or stay away from the DQ, do it behind the referee's back. Yada yada yada. Um, this one is good. It's again. It, I think it's out there. I believe. Oh yeah, it's on. It's on the Monday Night Raw Prime Cuts VHS that we've talked about many times. Where here's gimmick match number two. Um, the cover of the Monday Night Raw Prime Cuts to me, I told you, it's one of the best covers in history. Uh, and I could talk about this match all day 
long, and it is the finals of the Intercontinental Championship Battle Royal. So the gimmick match is what? It's the Battle Royal. The prize, the last two competitors go on to face each other for the vacant Intercontinental Championship. Okay? So we don't see a stipulation like that taking place any longer. I mean, I remember as a kid doing stipulations like that with the uh, the action figures because I didn't know who I wanted to win. So you uh, you have two guys win a battle royal, and then they go ahead and face each other. But what they did was the magic of television, and they made it look like it was a week later, but it really was the same night that these were all recorded. Uh, but a great championship victory for Razor Ramon, his first Intercontinental Championship victory and uh, title reign. Of course, all of this taped on September 27th, 1993. This is actually technically this, the next taping after the Quebecers and Steiners match. So right out, right behind each other, we have back-to-back uh, -back tapings with new champions uh, at the New Haven Coliseum in New Haven, Connecticut. The Battle Royal being uh, broadcasted on October 4th, 1993. The participants including Giant Gonzalez, Jacques and Pierre, the Quebecers, Randy Savage, Adam Baum, Marty Gennetti, Diesel, Bastion Booger, the 123 Kid, and Mabel. So pretty, uh, oh, Mr. Perfect, Jimmy Snooker snuck in there. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty good group of guys in this, uh, this Battle Royal. But, oh, Tatanka as well. You got to give it to uh, the fact that, you know, you could have maybe said, oh, Randy Savage could get a run as the Intercontinental Champion. You know, he's being circled down the card now. He wasn't a main eventer anymore, but maybe we'd give him a run with the IC belt. So he's a contender. Uh, definitely could have seen a Marty Jannetty in there. He's a former Intercontinental Champion. It would have been believable for him. Um, definitely Rick Martel could have been believable, you know. Maybe a few years earlier, more than now in 93. But, you know, the match that he has with Razor Ramon is awesome. So, you know, you can see Rick Martel. You could absolutely see Razor Ramon taking that title for the first time like he did. And, um, you know, it's one of the more entertaining battle royals of that era, too. Um, it's a little quick-paced. Don't love when they're rushed, but it's um, it, it gets the job done. I, I can't hate, hate on it at all. Uh, the final time for this battle royal is, let's see, the last guy is thrown out uh, yeah, about uh, 12 minutes or so. So not terrible. Could, could be worse. Um, but again, sticking with this early phase of Monday Night Raw, and we've talked about this before, these are big moments. So the fact that the following week, the uh, October 11th edition, of Raw leads to this uh, vacant title being won by Razor Ramon. Again, another 10-minute match with Rick Martel. You know, if you were in the building that night, you got to see a hell of a night of action uh, in the New Haven Coliseum. Uh, great building with a lot of history for uh, WWF action. Um, they always did very well when they went to New Haven. Now, this next one, uh, what can I say? I don't love it. Okay, I, I'm not a fan of it, but if you think of gimmick matches, you think of uh, matches that are absolutely, you know, goofy and um, out of the WWF playbook, uh, look no further than King of the Ring 1995 at the now former Philadelphia Spectrum. It was called the Core States Spectrum at the time, June 25th, 1995. 
Ugh, not a good one. Bret Hart defeating Jerry the King Lawler with the sharpshooter in the infamous Kiss My Foot match. Okay, this is not a crowning achievement of uh, Jerry Lawler's uh, illustrious uh, title history, but you know what it is? It's a footnote, no pun intended, um, that Jerry Lawler was such a good heel in the WWF that this stipulation... Uh, being what it was, this guy played it to the uh, the, the highest extent possible. Uh, the vignettes leading into the Kiss My Foot match were probably the best part uh, of the match. I mean, the match itself is just a Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler match. A uh, little sped up, about nine and a half minutes. You know, didn't give them a lot of time. But the actual buildup for this match is unbelievable with Jerry Lawler training for the kiss my foot match, you know, in a horse stall or, you know, refusing to wash his feet and people around him, you know, uh, complaining about the smell and constantly on commentary, you know, talking about how rank his smell was. And again, it's goofy as anything, but if it's, if you're talking about a gimmick match from this era, you have to talk about this match. So, uh, <laughs> A great one uh, being a battle royal for a title victory and a great one from the execution of the name, uh, the buildup, um, the match. It was what it was. Now, I believe, did they do a I think they did a second one with Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler in their little few they had about 10 years ago. Uh, but nothing tops this in terms of uh, the build and what they did with this one. This was ridiculous. And uh, it was um, uh, interference by Hakushi that backfired. And uh, Jerry Lawler, you know, uh, had to get uh, Brett's foot in his mouth. Which, again, this is all very gross. Um, but then, you know, kind of the uh, turning of the tides where Brett then sticks the stinky, dirty, nasty foot of Jerry Lawler in his own mouth. So I'm sure Vince was dying of laughter in the background on this one. He's on commentary. And he's, uh, he's selling it well in that high-pitched Vince uh, voice. But, you know, it's pretty good at the end where they follow Lawler to the back. He's throwing up in the, uh, you know, in the mirror. He definitely went above and beyond for it. That's for damn sure. It was, uh, it was a, <laughs> it's a labor of love uh, if you're the, uh, the artist putting this together. But as the consumer, it was absolutely uh, kind of nasty. And, uh, you know, you kind of question everything after you watch it going, maybe I shouldn't really invest this much time in, uh, in the pro wrestling world with what they just uh, fed me here, literally, on uh, <laughs> the 1995 King of the Ring, which is one of the uh, you know, more uh, forgotten in, that, is in a uh, very good way. Um, pay-per-view because it was not good we've talked about that before we're not going to hit it over the head again uh got to move ahead in the timeline and in the calendar jump forward to technically the first raw of 1996 uh january 1st 1996 it was broadcast but it was recorded on december 18th 1995 the raw bowl from newark delaware you know you think about smash mouth football you think about uh, the WWF kind of doing their own thing with, uh, you know, mocking Monday Night Football. Well, there's no other place in the world than Newark, Delaware, where I want to have that at the Bob Carpenter Center. Not uh, <laughs> not too shabby for a, uh, for a venue. Um, this was absolutely a swing and a miss. Uh, this match 
had the WWF superstars uh, being um, led uh, out to the ring, you know, in full football attire, the face, you know, the, the, the eye black shoulder pads, the cutoff Jersey um, just, you know, what are you going to say? This was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I did kind of like how the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the ring was decorated with the, uh, you know, the green turf to signify the, um, the actual match. Uh, but in the match itself, the WWF tag team champions, the smoking guns, defeat psycho Sid and the one, two, three kid, Owen Hart and Yokozuna and Razor Ramon and Savio Vega in an elimination match. Um, it saw the one, two, three kid pin Razor Ramon with a clothesline. Uh, it saw a absolutely, uh, you know, pun filled contest where the recipient wins the Lombardi trophy at the end of the match. And of course it's the, um, Lombardi trophy is Steve Lombardi folks, the Brooklyn brawler, uh, who brings the, uh, the, the, the trophy out to the ring and then gets beat up by, uh, the smoking guns, Ahmed Johnson, Marty Janetti, Hakushi and Savio Vega. Um, it was so ridiculous. It was so out there and it was so WWF 1990s. It's, uh, it's not even funny. Uh, if you would really love to get uh technical, uh, Billy Gunn wore the number 38 jersey. Bart Gunn wore the number 45 jersey. Owen Hart wore the number one jo- jersey. And Yoko Zuna won the, uh, wore the number 641 jersey. And not to forget, Savio Vega wore the Uno jersey. Uh, one, two, three kid wearing the one, two, three. Sid wearing double zero. And Razor Ramon wearing four to signify his four Intercontinental Championship uh, victories. You know, what were they on and what were they smoking when they came up with this idea? You know, I'm sure Bruce Pritchard has a whole thing about it on the uh, the, the podcast that he does. So if I'm wrong or if there is an answer or an explanation that's out there, just go and check it out and report back if you can. That's uh, an unbelievable um, concept to, to do this. But, hey, they love to poke fun at Monday Night Football and uh, the NFL, and this was their best way. I mean, these were some just <laughs> – out there uh, little comments made by Vince and Jerry Lawler the whole time. Um, I'm sure popping themselves like crazy, but a lot of people forget on this same exact match. um, We got basically, you know, one of the only rematches that King Mabel would get against big daddy, cool diesel. And that's diesel pinning him in eight seconds with a big boost. Okay. That, That was it. You know, King Mabel was on his way down the card as well. Uh, injuring guys left and right. And he gets his first rematch against Diesel from SummerSlam here at the uh, the, the Raw Ball show. And he, Diesel pins him in eight seconds on this exact um, uh, show. So think about that. That's one. That's January 1st, 1996. That's kicking off your year. And uh, you got two matches on your Raws, which, oh my gosh. I mean, how many people would sign for that right now? If you said, hey, Raw's going back to one hour and there's only going to be two matches. And what did they fill it with in between? They 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 featured a replay of the Hogpen match with uh, Triple H and uh, Henry Godwin, and they also did uh, some billionaire Ted Shtick uh, as well. And this also featured the announcement of Vader uh, being a participant in the Royal Rumble. So you, if you were watching in '96 and you saw that, you were like, "Wow, 
Vader on his way to the WWF. Now, moving forward in the uh, the timeline for number five, and again, you know, this was a short little list. Uh, this one, I've mentioned this as being one of my most hated stipulation matches of all time. I've mentioned this uh, being a gimmick match that never needed to take place, especially the fact that it was the blow-off to a huge, huge historical feud in World Wrestling Federation history. And it involves our buddy uh, Razor Ramon. Once again, Razor Ramon defeats the one, two, three kid at In Your House number six from the Louisville Gardens in Louisville, Kentucky, February 18th, 1996 in the diaper match. I let that breathe for a second. Yes, the diaper match complete with the baby bottle, uh, the baby carriage, uh, the baby powder, and the one, two, three kid crying after realizing he was put into the diaper. Horrible, horrible, horrible. But what can you do? You know, it was the era, and I'm sure this is what Vince thought, you know, would have been the funny. I'm sure he knew both of these guys were going to be on their way out at this point. Well, February... Maybe he didn't know about the kid, but there were definitely the, this was the night that uh, he definitely knew Hall was gone. No, this is the night that Kevin Nash claims he told Scott Hall that he was departing and going to WCW as well. So this is February 18th, 1996. This is the, uh, the infamous cage match where uh, Bret Hart did not want to look weak by taking the power bomb uh, and for diesel trying to escape the cage only to be brought into hell by the undertaker. Um, this is the, uh, the night that he went up to Scott Hall and just said, you know, tell Bischoff I'm in. And that's, uh, that's the, the rest of his history. So he definitely knew Hall was on his way out. So funny that Hall would get the victory here. And I wonder if, if he knew Waltman was going to be, uh, on his way out as well. You know, Waltman would join the NWO in, uh, September, I believe August, September in 96, where they would debut, you know, in June of 96. So whether or not they knew at this point, uh, I went to a house show around this time. I want to say maybe, let me see, is it a few weeks before? Uh, to, let me see, there's White Plains. Just scanning through the website. No, I actually went to the, uh, uh, oh, well, my show I went to was, 12 days after this uh, pay-per-view and all those guys, Diesel wasn't there. Uh, Hall wasn't there. Waltman was there. He got switched around on the card and faced uh, a very surprising Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, never thought that we would see a uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper street fight uh, that night. Um, subbing for Razor Ramon against the one, two, three kid. Um, what a great experience. I've talked about that way in the past uh, on this show. Uh, this also featured when I was talking about the uh, the moments where Shawn Michaels dropped down to the uh, to the floor selling the uh, concussion. The return uh, match, the the first time they met since that night on Raw, Shawn Michaels pins Owen Hart on this show with the super kick, thus moving on to WrestleMania 12 to take on uh, Bret Hart in the Iron Man match. But yeah, I mean the baby diaper, you know, one two three kid crying. It's just. It's another one. It's full of puns. It's just very jokey. And these weren't top. That, look, this list wasn't top five gimmick matches or best gimmick. Match. This is just top five gimmick matches. And and you really can separate the battle royal because that's so traditional. 
the other four are just absolutely, you know, kind of ridiculous and kind of out there. But it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, what can you say? It was the time. It was when we could sit back and say, all right, you know, we're not going to, uh, you know, take everything so seriously in, in pro wrestling, but we can uh, suspend disbelief for that time we're watching a WWF show. And you know what? Why don't we give you one just for uh, for good measure? The hog pen match. And this is one that's talked about on the um, the timeline history of 1995 with Kevin Ash on the kayfabe commentaries that I was referring to. The hog pen match um, at the December 1995 in your house with um, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and Henry Godwin. Um, again, we mentioned it not being a great feud for Triple H in those early stages a few weeks back when we when we did the Triple H episode, but it was put together well. I mean, that's the, the only thing you can give it. It was put together well. Uh, the problem with this show is it's the curse show. It's the Hershey PA, Hershey Park Arena in your house two, or excuse me, in your house five. This is the night that Shane Douglas is done with the WWF. This is the night that uh, Owen, Har- excuse me, Bret Hart and British Bulldog have uh, one of their better matches with um, Brett bleeding all over the place, but them needing to rebroadcast the actual pay-per-view across their television because the buy rate was so low, you know? So when you look at the, the hog pen match, it could have been considered the highlights of this show only because of the fact that it's got such, um, you know, a lackluster card, uh, Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty versus the one, two, three kid and psycho Sid, Ahmed Johnson taking on Buddy Landell, who was subbing for uh, Shane because Shane was hurt. Uh, then you have Owen Hart defeating uh, Diesel via DQ in four freaking minutes. That's it, four whopping minutes. And then you have um, the uh, the Undertaker defeating Mabel in a casket match, uh, whole six minutes. So it's just one of those things. These were just very rushed. You know, these, these matches were uh, absolutely... Um, you know, not really kind of, this is in your house only two hours. So they had time for these matches, but they were just rushed. Um, the hog pen match, uh, they replayed that on the raw bowl episode and it was, uh, a whole nine minutes for the Arkansas hog pen match, uh, guest refereed by hillbilly Jim. Um, you know, again, these are more kind of extreme examples of gimmick matches on steroids. Again, makes that battle Royal look very normal, uh, in comparison, but that's why we love the new generation, and that's why we go back and look at these. So take a look at those if you have the time to go back and watch them. If there's any that you feel I should include in the future release, please let me know. Uh, again, you people who uh, do like this new generation uh, style of show, you guys get get what I, you get what I get, and we all kind of enjoy the same stuff. So keep those cards and letters safely rolling in. Uh, we will get out of here for this week. I apologize for being very congested and being a little uh, foggy-headed this week. We will get back on the horse and uh, return sharper than ever with the next episode of one of my podcasts right here on the TMPT Empire podcast feed. Uh, if you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on, Insta- on Twitter. On Instagram, it's at IB Exclusives. My website is IBExclusives.com. This website is TMPTEmpire.com. Get all the podcasts that we've got under the TMPT umbrella right here 
and uh, you never know who's going to pop up next on the uh, the two man power trip of wrestling. So um, go check out a few gimmick matches uh, and let me know what you think for uh, the new generation declassified world. This is your old buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.